Hello and welcome to Teaching Python. This is episode 59, a crossover episode with PyBytes. My name's Sean Tiber. I'm a coder who teaches, and you'll hear from Kelly Paredes, a teacher who codes here in a little bit. This week we have something a little bit different than usual. We met up with our friends Bob and Julian from Code Challenges and PyBytes. They wanted to interview us. Kelly and I were on the receiving end of an interview with them. You can also listen to this on the PyBytes podcast, which is newly launched just in the last few months. In this episode, Bob and Julian had some questions for us about how we teach students Python, how we're using the PyBytes platform this year to teach, and it was a lot of fun to record. So we thought we would just post it here for you as well, and hope you enjoy it. So without any further ado, on with the show. All right, everyone, welcome to the episode. We have a very special episode for you today. This is a crossover episode, so I'm not just here with Bob, but we also have Sean and Kelly from the Teaching Python podcast. Welcome, everyone. Hello. Hi. Great to have you on here. I know this is fun. We had you on our podcast way back at the beginning of our run of episodes, and it's a lot of fun. We've done a, some pretty cool stuff since then together with you, and, and it's really nice to get back on the air with the two of you. Yeah, this is super exciting. I love that we've been able to get the time zones crossed over yet again without too much pain from anyone in particular. I thought that last time, the transatlantic episode. Yeah, Sean and I have probably the best time zone. Not too late, not too early. We're, we're like the baby Goldilocks incident here. Yeah, 7 a.m. here, so I'll take the, the pain. So the point of this episode, everyone, is that we wanted to pick Sean and Kelly's brains when it comes to teaching python in general and uh, i'll get into the topics in a second but the first thing i wanted to cover off is why doesn't everyone just do a quick five to ten second round table and just go through tell us a bit about yourself sean do you want to get started sure so my intro is pretty simple i'm a coder who started teaching about three years ago and i work at pinecrest school in fort lauderdale florida I teach 7th and 8th grade computer science, and my kids are learning Python, and they're really doing an amazing job of it. Today we were talking about uh, reinforcement learning and AWS deep racers. They're having a ton of fun trying to learn this stuff and figure out how do these things actually work. And we don't get as deep into the code as maybe a professional developer, but they get the idea of reinforcement learning and how it could work and what they could do with it. We're going to set up our racing league here shortly. I get to have fun every day playing with stuff like this and watching kids get into it and get excited about it and hopefully setting them off on a journey of learning and development over the course of their life. That's such a cool job. All right. So mine intro is just about the same as Sean, except for I'm the one like maintaining the too much fun factor. I'm like, slow down, calm down. This is school. It's supposed to be boring. Give them a test or something. But I am a teacher who codes and actually just got on as an orange ninja belt today on the PyBytes website and so proud of myself finally. I know I I solved a four pointer, uh, a regex. Those are my new friends. They actually get more points on it, so I can go higher up the scale. So I was really excited. And yeah, that's pretty much it. I 
code with sixth and seventh grade students and sometimes uh, watch with eighth grade and help Sean do some basics in eighth grade and that's about all I do. Nothing else. I don't race cars with AWS. <laughs> I just scream in the background going, it's going too fast. One of, one of my favorite things though is watching the journey that Kelly's gone on over the last three years about learning how to code. When she got that four-pointer pie bite, she's like, yes, like her arms up in the air. I'm like, hey, Kelly, Kelly, I'm trying to teach a class here. Keep it down. <laughs> so That happened today, right? Yeah, it, just now. It was a not a very pretty code, but it worked. I always do that. I always show Sean's kids. Like, he's up there going, and yes, we can do this with a slicing of the index and a for loop and nested in with a list comprehension. I'm like... <laughs> but you can also do it with if, LF else 20 times, and it still doesn't. <laughs> it still works. <laughs> and it still works. So, yes, as long as it wasn't pretty. Passed. It wasn't pretty, but it passed the test. So I'm you proud of it. got the points. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I got the grade. <laughs> All right, Bob, do you want to give a quick overview just for Sean and Kelly's lovely audience? Yes, I'm Bob Beldebos. I'm a software developer. I started actually in finance, but I got a bit bored there and I discovered that you could automate Excel with VBA. And that really got me uh, passionate about programming. And then I discovered, as I was applying more coding in the job, Python in 2012, and I fell in love with it. I never looked back, started using it for everything. Grew into a software, a professional software developer role, software development team did that for a few years and in the meantime built PyBytes with uh, Julian over here which we have been doing for four years now it's a teaching and coaching business and last summer I went full on that and yeah that's taking up our days now teaching Python and uh, helping people grow their developer skills awesome all right not too much I can add to that I'm Julian Sequera co-founder of PyBytes with Bob love Python love coaching people all that sort of stuff. So we'll we'll leave that there. All right, so into the meat of this and a lot of the fun stuff now. So Sean and Kelly, I'm going to let you choose who gets to go first on this one. But one of the things we wanted to cover off is that you two are actually using our coding platform, Code Challenges, to teach your students Python. And this is super exciting for us. It's one of the proudest moments of 2020 for us. We were very excited that you were doing this. But would you be able to tell us a bit about how you're using that platform to teach Python? Sure. So we started, I guess we started using it when we met you guys as for ourselves. I think Sean will have to correct me on that. And we started talking about how the process of going through and solving these bites, whether we're helping me a lot and Sean, I think you grew a lot doing them as well. And we played around with the, I played around with the newbie bites because I was still a newbie back then. And the concept of using the PyBytes platform as a student platform became came into fruition when we were just like, this platform that we're using is not meeting the needs, the ones that we were using before. And yeah, we just started talking about how cool would it be if we could introduce the newbie bites to the kids, the way that they're laid out with all kinds of information and interweave them into our curriculum. You guys were up to date with with the three point whatever version. I think three point eight was when we came in with the mm-hmm. classroom. So it's modern Python. It's like the same stuff that you would use in a regular project. And it also incorporates a lot of other things that we love, like this concept of code testing. 
And when we were looking at all the different options and all the different platforms out there, the thing that kept coming back to my mind was that students don't need cute examples. They might be 10 years old, 12 years old, something like that. They don't need cute examples. They need clear examples. They need things that are understandable and relevant and they can work with it. And that was one of the things that we really liked about the platform was that where everyone else was like, we're going to make games and it's going to be fun and we're going to have these silly examples that they can learn Python with. It was like, you know, that's nice, but you're losing the clarity of it. You're losing this idea of can they build a concept or understand the concept from the challenge that they're on and then actually use that and integrate that knowledge. So that was a big selling point for us was the clarity of the examples, the way that the concepts were presented. And what we're finding with our students is that belief is paying off that those the students are now saying this is so much easier to understand than what we were doing last year like we get it yeah and thinking back to the previous platforms and all the ones that we've seen in the past i personally even coming from a newbie a newbie python coder didn't comprehend what an object was what a method was and how that plays out in code so you would see the sprite dot forward method and it okay i know it'll make it go forward that's great i can make the little sprite move through the maze but i didn't really understand how that applied to other aspects in coding and i think that's how the PyBytes has changed the way that the kids are learning python getting concepts that they can now put into other codes versus the sprites going forward great so that's our two cents (laughs) together (laughs) That's really awesome and happy to hear that. But then if the students go from nice toy games to maybe some drier newbie bites with some text to digest and <laughs> down-to-earth Python, what were some of the challenges then uh, that you had teaching the students Python, be it platform or otherwise? So the thing is you have to put into the mindset of a middle school teacher and a high school teacher, we're not just teaching the content. So one of the things, even though it may appear dry or a lot of text or a lot of of information, this skill that the kids are developing with being able to read text slowly in order to search out the question or search out what they have to do for the problem is a is a huge skill. It's like the number one skill for Sean and I in our class besides like grit and all the other ones. <laughs> but like a number one skill is reading and comprehension and literacy. We often talk about how do we develop the information literacy with informational text. And that's a skill that's not often done in schools as much unless you're studying government or humanities or something like that. A lot of English classes go into fiction and the kids know how to understand a fiction, understand the the theme or main idea of a story. But in order to pull out information from text that they don't know the words, that's a huge skill. And so that's one of the things that I think PyBytes is helping with over the, the games. The only thing I was gonna to add to that is is the way to balance that is if you put up a big wall of text and you put up a lot of information, they get lost. So this atomic nature of the challenge where it is not, especially in the newbie bites, is not a huge amount of information. It's a singular concept that builds on other things that they may have learned. They're reading an, a digestible amount of text. They're getting key concepts out of that. It's very focused, it's very clear. 
And then they can take that information and apply it right away and get that immediate feedback of, I tried this, I tried to apply it, did it work, did it pass the test? And something as simple as just seeing a green check mark on there and says, way to go, you solved the bite. The kids get a tremendous amount of satisfaction out of that, especially if they can do chain that together, like one every few minutes keeps them going and they get this sense of momentum and they just want to keep going. And we've had some students that have gone through all 25 newbie bites in the first like seven days of the course. And so we say, good news, there's 300 other bites that you can learn from. So let's get you going on those. That's the parents didn't complain. Let me say like the instant feedback. What was the reaction to the testing system? Like that we run PyTest against the uh, the code. Was that confusing? (laughs) Yeah. Yes. And I say, okay, just open up the PyTest output or don't look at the test things yet. Look, open up the PyTest output, scroll all the way to the bottom till you see a word that you can read. (laughs) And (laughs) let's be honest. These are 10, 11, 12, maybe 13 year old kids. And tracebacks and tests and all that other stuff that you developers put in there it's pretty crazy so being able to just give them the confidence that yeah you're not going to know what's in there but scroll down to you see something like name error or whatever and the kids always say what's eof error and i'm like i don't know it's wrong do something else a search and error yeah you didn't do it right just put return <laughs> you'll figure it out later <laughs> yeah their first reaction is definitely what is this thing red text black background what am i looking at how does it work and so they are that initial reaction is it's a little bit overwhelming to see all of that report come back but the good news is when they're first doing it it's relatively simple things that they're trying to test and so there's not a lot of different moving parts that they have to diagnose so we start getting them looking at skills like how do you read an error report? How do you read this test log and see what happened and what are the different types of errors that you have? And when they say assertion error, what does that mean? So we break that apart into all these pieces and by the end of it, the kids are like, they know, let me see the PyTest output. What is it doing? How does this work? So it's one of those things where I I can't wait to show Brian Aachen at some point, look, 10 year olds reading (laughs) PyTest. And this is really cool. (laughs) Yeah, he's gonna get a kick out of that. I love it. All right, so hang on. So I've got a quick, actually one comment to make quickly for anyone listening when Sean and Kelly and Bob and I, when we say bytes, we're actually talking about exercises here. It's just the name we give exercises on our platform. And the newbie exercises that we're talking about are a series of 25 exercises that each exercise is very fine-tuned to teach one specific concept without don't forget, rolling don't over forget sorry to interrupting you for a second don't forget five more exercises and the newbie bites about classes that you're making this year by the way soon to be 30 i guess is what kelly's asking for putting right. on the spot putting on the spot <laughs> gotta add more exercises to this just for you guys all right fine so listen to our accountability uh, <laughs> so anyways yeah, newbie it. bites yes one, one through 30 yes <laughs> Yeah, 1 through 30, sorry. No, they teach a very specific concept, and that's what I think uh, the kids are relating with the most, which is pretty cool. Okay, I've got a question that I didn't ask you in advance of this, but when I was in school, the in, in high school specifically, so in Australia that's grade 7 to grade 12, we didn't have a dedicated software design type coding course until or class, I should say, until we were in grade 11. So you're telling me that there are, there are kids, you're, the, the students are 10, 11, 12. So what course is it that, 
or what class is it that you're teaching and how is it that you've managed to choose Python for that over, say, C++ or basic, uh, Visual Basic or whatever else? Have you tried those other languages? Because <laughs> it was a pretty clear choice. <laughs> okay, all right. So you and me. All of our students, PK-12, have computer science, all of them. And in the lower levels, the computer science teachers come into the little classrooms and they teach them. My seven-year-old's working in doing all the levels of codables. That's that little fuzzy ball that goes through and um, goes gets coded through a maze. And then in the, the lower school, they go and they learn Scratch, Scratch Junior. So we picked Python three years ago, and it wasn't really picked. It was given to us because I think the hardware, the, the micro bit, the just popularity of the program, the language was there. And the high school AP teacher, she was like, yeah, Python's going to be great. It'll work well and good preparation for my JavaScript class, which I didn't understand. But hey, she says our kids are doing great in her class. So that's all that matters. So I think that's why they chose it. And just to give them a, another language before they went into high school and completed the AP program, which I guess is a little bit harder to do with JavaScript. That's what I was told. Anything yeah. else? Yeah, just in terms of structure, we teach nine-week courses throughout the school year. Each of our middle school students will have nine weeks of computer science. They move on to another subject. We get a, a fresh batch of students. So they're not getting like a full year-long course, but they are getting nine weeks of every day or this year every other day doing computer science so that they are really able to dig a little bit deeper into it. And then from here, our students go on into upper school courses where they're taking a more traditional full year type course where they're learning in a more college style computer science framework. One of the things that's really great about this is that there's been this recognition at our school, and this isn't commonplace in America, it's becoming more widespread, but the idea is that computer science, the discipline, is really not about the specific language and syntax. It's about the concepts, it's about the ideas, it's about the way of thinking, the mindset, the way to break down problems, all of those durable skills that persist across languages. That's what computer science is really about. My son, who's in kindergarten right now, he's five years old, he is going through and learning about algorithmic kind of sequential processes and everything by navigating mazes and creating, here's my little algorithm that will navigate the maze. But it really just helps him break down and start to realize that logical framework of thinking through how to solve a problem in a way that's appropriate to his age. And then next year he'll have a little bit more and a little bit more so that by the time our seniors are graduating from our upper school at 18 or 19 years old, some of them are going on and taking artificial intelligence and machine learning courses and they've taken a data structures and algorithms course. So they're taking fairly advanced coding courses before they get to college. But the only way that we can really make that work is if they've had this progression of that comp, uh, computer science, computational skills. thinking skills. Ask any teacher across the world, computational thinking skills. Yep. So that's what we're really shooting for here. The language, while Python is very convenient for us to teach, it's a great language to learn in. It's very scalable to more advanced problems. The most important thing is that way of thinking and the way of conceptualizing and abstracting the information that's part of the computational thinking approach. That's amazing. I, I didn't realize the curriculum was so advanced compared to when I was in school not that long ago. I should 
No, it's you pretty long. Go back in time. <laughs> Australia <laughs> has a lot of great, great websites and stuff. Like Grok Learning comes from Australia. Mm. So they've got a lot of things now. I think you're just old and you never learned. Yeah. That's pro. Thanks, thanks, Kel. I'm not allowed to edit that out. Damn. No, actually, it's a good call as well. I think for those of us with kids. So my kids are eight and five going into school, and eight-year-olds are already in school. But I'm not sure what sort of computer-style skills that they're learning in school. So I should probably pay more attention. So there's a lesson for me. Take away. Yeah, that's a good wake-up call. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you both. All right. So the next question is funny one and I was really excited for this question so do you have any stories or anecdotes about individual students or performers that are using the platform anything interesting to tell us you, you can you be critical the, you want the good uh, the critical one I can tell when they cheat <laughs> 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 here's the thing and I don't want and I want to lead anyone down the dark gloomy path that and I'm, I'm not saying that this is because or not because of the pie bites. You can't just give them a bunch of kids and say, here, d- go solve these and go away. Cor- the curriculum's done. Because any 10, 11, 12, 13-year-old is not going to have the motivation or desire unless it's that Sean Tiber, Bob Belderos kind of person who has been coding forever, who likes to sit at home and just click on their... No, I'm just kidding. Sorry. That's what I see Sean doing, just clicking on his keyboard. <laughs> But most of the kids don't want to do computer programming right away. So sometimes it's a little bit of that child that cheats, and you can tell when they do that because all of a sudden they've solved like three bytes in, in two minutes because they asked their friend. But let me think of a really good story. They don't understand Transformers, by the way, which is funny because they always put Deception instead of Decepticon, and I'm like dancing around going, Robots in disguise. <laughs> And they go, oh. So that was more for you than the kids. Oh, man. That's upsetting that they didn't know Decepticons. I know there were like Michael Bay movies and everything and and nothing. Just whoosh. (laughs) Let's not talk about those. (laughs) What else? You see a lot of spelling errors in which they're like, these guys are really nitpicky. And I always tell them the story. Bob and Julian, these guys are real people and they like things to be a particular way. If you don't put a space in between the period and the the quotation mark, they're going to fail you on this bite. (laughs) Hey, I consider that a lesson for when you're writing code and you leave out some quote marks and you have an extra long comment or something. I always tell them that's going to help you really well when you're in your English class. So just remember that. I had one today that was funny. We were giving a class coding challenge. So in addition to their own self-paced newbie bites, I'll give them a time challenge. Like, here's a problem. You've got 20 minutes to figure it out. Go. And I won't give them a lot of information. They can use any resources they want except for each other. And so they're like, can we use the internet? Yes. Can we use YouTube? Sure. Can we look at online at the textbooks and things like that that you've uploaded? Sure. And so I'm, I'm sitting there listening to them work and they're trying to figure it out and they're working hard at it. And this one girl under her breath goes, thank you, newbie bites. (laughs) 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 She she figured it out from one of the newbie bites. I know that there was a newbie bite about this. She went back and found it. I just heard her quietly say to herself, thank you, newbie bites. (laughs) Oh, that's That's amazing. (laughs) That's made my day. It's it's just cool. So you get some of the kids. I have one student right now who he's, I've known him now since he was in fourth grade. 
and he's in seventh, so going on three years, and he's been coding in fourth grade. He's just one of these kids that likes it. He's always giving me some random facts that I have no idea what he's talking about. I'm like, that's really cool. Yeah, go talk to Mr. Tiber. But he was coding along, and he skipped over the newbie bites, and we were talking the other day, and I was like, can you help me with number 318? <laughs> And he's like, oh, you mean the base 64? And I'm like, how do you even know this crap? And he's just, he's, when you go into the, the ASCII, and, and I was like, yeah, just go away. <laughs> so yes, <laughs> that, yeah, this kid's, he, he thinks he knows a lot at seventh grade, which he does, but he, he hasn't solved 318. I got further than him, so just putting it out there. <laughs> Kelly's playing her own version of Are You Smarter Than a Seventh Grader right now. <laughs> I tell them all the time, in two years' time, they're going to be better coders than me because I'm still teaching the basics. So, it, I mean, it's just factual. I can teach the best for loops and the best conditional statements anywhere in this world. I can guarantee it. But take me further than eighth grade Python, then we might have a little bit of trouble. <laughs> I love that. that that's so Amazing funny. story. Yeah. So on to the next question then. We often tell kids how, how learning to code will help them in the future. And what do your kids think about that? What, what Python will do for them as they get older? We're curious uh, about well, that. I love asking them this question. So I ask them this question at the beginning of every class. Why are we learning this? And about half the students say, because you told me to, Mr. Tiber. Like, this is a required class. Like, I'm here because you told me to be here. But a, a bunch of other kids will say, it's like almost the straight off of the back of a, a brochure or some marketing materials that say, because computers are the future, and in the future, I need to know how to use computers in order to be successful in whatever career I have. And I say, yes, but look around you. This is the future. There are computers everywhere. You are using computers every day. So wouldn't it be great if you could start being better at computers right now so that you don't have to wait about 10 years from now when you're in the future in some future career that when you're in your science class next period, if you see a problem that you can solve with code, solve it with code. If you see a math problem that you might understand better, if you frame it as a Python pro problem, or next year when you're doing government class or world history, if you have some set of data that you can analyze or a website that you can make, now you're solving things with code and you've got one more tool in your arsenal, one more thing that you can do right away instead of waiting until you've graduated from a computer science program somewhere before you're allowed to start using code. Use it today. Why wait until this mythical future? The future is here. What's their quote? The future is here, but it's just not evenly distributed be part of that distributed like section where you are in the future and you can use this skill that you're building right away because that's the only way that you're going to have it be useful for you in the future. I think like at the lower level, at first I didn't, I didn't think I was going to like teaching the sixth graders. It's a really um, energetic, <laughs> the things that I do in class, I, it's amazing. And how I repeat myself 400 times is pretty incredible. I think I should start counting and the mental images that I'm always developing, but there's something about that kids, especially when I'm teaching this week, the first two weeks of sixth grade computer science is awesome because you're teaching them inputs and objects and you're manipulating things. So they're having conversations. Name equals input. What is your name? Hi, my name's Kelly. Oh, how are you, Kelly? Oh, hello world. How are you world? Oh, the world just said hi to me. And they're having this full on conversation with it. And then I go, I log into your computer or you log into that website 
that's the input and checking to see if it's correct. And they're like, oh, and it's that thing that they do where they finally make that connection that they just coded the same thing that other people do in order to get into a program. And I think for me, that is when they realize why it's important. It's not necessarily that they're going to code, but they can make that connection. And maybe they don't necessarily say, yeah, this is important to learn computer science, but now they get it. Now they get where it's coming from. So that's like how it is, I think, at the lower level. To connect it to the real world. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. Inputs, outputs. Here I'm going to tell Alexa to do something. Oh, they get it. Here's this. If I tell Alexa to do something, she's going to do it kind of idea. And they get that yeah. connection. So. Yeah, yes. because if you think back at school when, <laughs> when I was less motivated, it was because I had to memorize facts that were not relevant in life at all. So Yeah, yeah. we don't teach memorization. I said every, we say it all the time, every good programmer knows how to Google first. So it, it's they just they get used to the fact that you can't talk to me, you can't talk to a student, but you can ask anything. You can even if you want to speak up and ask Google, you can do it. So let's go on. And I, I think that's something that they're not used to in this agency of being able to code whatever they want. I may be sitting up there typing name equals input, what is your name? But they're over there having their own little story and they're doing which way books while I'm, I'm coding, what's your favorite meal today? So that agency that computer science allows them to have is pretty cool too. That's good advice. I really like that because my kids, I'm trying to teach them to code as well and trying to get them motivated and interested in it. And I try to link it to the real world a little bit. But I think I need to make more of an effort. So he's really big into Pokemon cards at the moment. So I should probably try and link it to that. Maybe today we, made, <laughs> today we yeah. made a list of the worst meals at school. <laughs> and we rated them. <laughs> and then we listed them out according to their ratings. The kids were like, oh, yeah, those, Chris, those meatless hamburgers. Those are the worst. <laughs> meatless hamburgers. Yeah. Oh, okay. I forget you have a cafeteria at school. We don't do that here. That's cool. All right. So last question from us. Based on your experiences to date, you know, how do you see the future of teaching Python? How do you think it feel it's going to go moving forward? Finger, yeah. Fingers crossed. I'm hoping it stays for a while. Um, you mean just teaching Python for us? What do we want to do or what the world wants to do? Yeah, with both of you, but also the technology as it's advancing, are there any cool things that you want to see that you expect to come with uh, the way you teach Python? We're, we keep asking for more time. Hopefully one day we'll have a longer lesson. Having nine weeks, the kids get through sixth grade. They get through up to functions. Here, I'm going to make a basic function. I can put one or two parameters and I understand a little bit what's going on. By the end of eighth grade, we're dabbling in a lot of things because there's so much we want to do. So we always ask for more time because I just started diving into, what is this book? Real World Python by Levon. Have you seen that one yet? I'm really getting hooked on the fact that I can open up different things. I can scrape the web and why, why can't a sixth grader or seventh grader learn how to do that? They don't have time right now. So I was scraping in preparation for MLK day on Monday. I was scraping the web with his chapter two on the I have a dream speech, which I think is great. And then we're, I'm going to strip away some of the, the sentences so that we get a better understanding of the speech. Why can't kids do that now? I, I, I know a sixth grader could easily do that if you've given them enough time to teach them what that is. So 
the sky's the limit. We just need more time. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I think if we have 18 weeks instead of nine weeks, the things that we can do, the depth to which we can go, and the more choices we can give to our students, because we have to keep everything reasonably well aligned in that first nine weeks so that everyone gets some foundational knowledge going. But then from there, why not have a track that's here's all about web development or here's something that's all about data science or animal graphing and visualizing data. Here's another track that's all about game design and game development. And here's one that's all about AI and machine learning or robotics or whatever. what kids have more choices and where they want to take their coding because it really is all about relevancy. Like what's the most relevant thing for them? What's that thing that they make a connection with and they go, wow, this is really cool. I had one student last quarter who figured out that there was a library where you can code sheet music. So you can write notes in Python code and it will create sheet music as the output that you could print out and you could give to an orchestra or whatever. So now she's got half of that equation. She's got the part that goes from code to sheet music. How does she get something else into code? Can she make hook something up to a microphone where she could get like sound samples and, and turn sounds directly into music? Could she do something where the computer is composing the music, run some sort of AI or machine learning model on it and create music from code and, and then print it out to sheet music, but we just run out of time. So I think what we'll start to see is, especially as more of our students come through that have had more time in computer science education, each year we're still getting a little bit better with the incoming students because they've had more and more introductory experience before they get here they're able to go further and further. And so we're gonna to have to keep designing more advanced, more interesting, more diverse opportunities for them to learn with more of those opportunities for connection to the concepts and the materials. Yeah, agreed. Sky's the limit, man. And to be honest, I've been reflecting a lot on this whole process and, and how I have changed in the way that I think and I actually talk a lot about that to the students. Three years ago, I tell them I didn't know how to code. I couldn't remember anything. The poor sixth graders who I taught three years ago, I feel so bad for them because their, their Python was just, it was wretched. I was like looking in the book, typing. I was like, yeah, okay, yeah. And uh, no, I don't know how to do that. We're not talking about that because I don't know how to do that. But I challenge any teacher who wants to learn, you can do it. Like fully if you even if you don't want to teach computer science you should pick up python and start playing around with it because just the the changes that happen to your brain as you're learning something completely new it's, it's remarkable so that's my like little learning styles theory kind of thing we talk to our students too about the kind of the neuroscience behind learning we talk a lot about metacognitive approaches, thinking about thinking. How do you learn things? How do you process stuff? And one of the things I told them was like, look, you recognize, you, you should recognize that when you're doing an exercise on PyBytes, when you're doing a code challenge and you get it right, you get this little reward chemical in your brain. You get a dopamine hit that says, wow, that was cool. I did that. And I said that the, we've decided or like we found based on the data that it's better to have frequent successes because you get that constant reinforcement that you're on the right track, that you're learning something that's valuable, that you're getting it. It's much better to have every day, two or three of those experiences where things are working really well and you're getting those dopamine rewards than it is to have 
four weeks of studying for the big test and then you get the test and then you're stressed out about it and you got cortisone chemicals which are making you like stressed and angry and everything and then if you get a good grade you get a dopamine reward but you get one of those every four weeks instead of four of those every coding session that you have so we talk a lot about that neuroscience that there is a way to also hack your brain and so even if you're studying for that exam that's the big one you have an ap test or something like that you have to find ways to reward yourself for your learning along the way so that your brain gets trained to look for that reward and it's not like it's not a food reward. It's not, we're not talking Pavlovian responses. We're talking about that. I don't know. It works really well with Sean. I just give him some espresso chocolate beans and stuff. And he, it's well true. done, Sean. You did really well yeah, today. That's really Teach good. just like that. Yeah. Tomorrow. I'm like that. Like the, the, chocolate always works. Yeah. I'm like that. The yeah. wildlife trainer on the talk shows at night where she's like handing me a treat when I get something right. But we, we teach them like, you have to hack your own learning. You have to think about this as how do you trick your brain? in a positive way towards learning more effectively. And if you're not getting it from the structure of whatever course you're in or whatever thing you're trying to learn, create it for yourself so that your outcome of learning is much more successful. Yeah, that, that's super important. I think like the Python and the development skills, the technical skills is just one thing, but there's the whole mindset and persistence and motivation that's if you don't get that, then it doesn't really matter. <laughs> I had one of my former students who I had last year in computer science. She's since moved on to the upper school. And she's not necessarily someone that I think we would have expected to go on to computer science in the upper school, but she's doing it. She's taking the course and she's struggling a bit. And so she asked for my help. I happened to see her as I was walking across campus. Mr. Tiber, can you help me figure this out? I'm, I'm really struggling. I'm trying to learn this. And the concepts just aren't making sense. So I gave her some things. Like I gave her, here's a book about learning, because she's learning JavaScript now. Here's some JavaScript for kids. Here's JavaScript Tutor, so you can put your code into a website and step through it and see how it works and everything. But the most important thing for her, and the reason why I know she'll be successful, is not because she was a fantastic coder in my class. She was good but she wasn't like, it didn't come naturally to her. The best thing that she has going for her is that she's tenacious. She's not gonna give up. She's not gonna say, oh, I, I, that's it. I'm not doing computer science anymore. She's gonna find a way to be successful because she wants that, she wants that goal. She wants to learn it. She signed up for it. She's not gonna quit. And that's something that is, you can't really teach that. You can only nourish it and encourage it and help make it come out rather than trying to teach it. You can't put that on a PowerPoint somewhere. Yeah. Awesome. So what's your yeah, next Dave. goals, guys? What, what are your goals for PyBytes? Bobby, you go first. Yeah. Putting us on the spot. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> that wasn't in the questions. <laughs> What questions? <laughs> oh, you didn't get that memo. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So last year we, we looked for a way to more intensively help people with Python. So we started to coach people building uh, complete projects in a 10 week uh, period. And that's taking off and that's uh, we were working really hard on that content and on that line. But of course, being PyBytes, we're continuously investing in, in adding more exercises to the platform. We, I think we just committed to five more newbie bytes. So there you go. Uh, continuous yeah. stream of exercises. We have a podcast now, articles. So the content, of course, is uh, always something to keep up. We're working hard on the tips, growing that collection from 200 to 300. The book, yeah. The book. And uh, yeah, Julian, anything to add to that? 
no, so there's there's a lot of content stuff there. I think just PyBytes as a whole, it's getting busier and much more difficult to keep on top of the uh, just the running of the business. And so we get it to this point where you have to choose: oh, do I spend my time on the admin and the the, the functional stuff of the business, or learning Python and and trying to improve our content and learn more and all that stuff that's probably the biggest focus for this year i'd say just to find a balance potentially hire people to work for us that's exciting and uh, you really find that that balance again because it's been pretty pretty difficult yeah. but i told my wife i have four hats you know, like marketing sales coaching python content but <laughs> so, don't so forget there's, to get there's always the friends. janitorial services someone's got to take out the trash all those things like when you're running a business like this you're really running everything and thankfully you're not running a server farm right like you can use cloud services <laughs> and things like that but in and julian to help you navigate but you have you really have to wear a lot of hats to be able to make this successful and that's one of the hardest things i think for most entrepreneurs to get past is this once you get into that model, it's hard to get out of it. What do you hand off first? Is it the janitorial services or is it the finance and accounting? Is it the development? Is it the content creation? Where do you get the most return on the value that you're going to give away? I think that's like, Sean and I were talking about this day because I was telling him, I have all these books and then I've been trying to blog and then I'm trying to keep up on Twitter, which I'm really not that good. I get spurts of energy today. We got spurts of energy on Twitter. And then we try to do the podcast. And then we also have grading. And I'm like, I'm stuck in sixth grade, seventh grade Python. I need to learn more. So I'm going to commit to that. And then the gym. So I, I think that whole prioritizing of all the, the stuff, you really need to schedule it out. This 30 minutes is for this. 30 minutes is for that. Here's like you talked about in that one book, Bob the one thing which i read thank you i have now another i had another book on my my nightstand forever i have 12 but i just think that's part of it right hopefully you have one now <laughs> no pun intended yeah. <laughs> nice <laughs> yeah that's uh, we went back a little bit to healthy routines exercising goal setting and even to the point like personally started doing this week putting every hour accounted for in in a spreadsheet because i added up the meetings i had for a week and it was like 15 or 20 hours like, what <laughs> so supposedly if i want to work 40 hours that's like half gone so you have to manage your time yeah it's hard to say no it, it, it always is and that's the, the i think the biggest challenge we want to do everything and there's just not enough time oh, yep. i'll get it done there's no stress. <laughs> just maybe not today. Just not today. We just write a Python script for it. Yeah. <laughs> Can we automate that? <laughs> yeah. It's nice to be a coder at <gasps> some things. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's yeah. it, Bob. You need to automate something so that it can divvy up, rated on importance, the, pr the stuff that you have, and then you can divvy up in the 24 hours. So mine's like sleep feet. for seven hours at least. That's my problem. <laughs> Sleep is, is very important. Yeah. A is it, <laughs> what is it, a priority queue for life? Just take the next most important thing off the stack. So this has been fun. <laughs> yeah, I think we need to do this more often, like some sort of check-in and see how it's going and, and where are we heading. 
I think for us, like one of the things we'll, we'd want to cover in a future episode was it would be, what are you seeing with adult learners? So the people that are learning in a corporate setting or just because they want to, because they have some goal that they want to reach, how does that change the learning process for them? Where do they typically get stuck? And I know you have some really interesting insights from the Coding Challenges platform to be able to see, here are the places where people really stay strong and they get a bunch done, and then here's the places where they start to fall off and where they lose that motivation. Yeah, I think we have actually quite some data while we're lacking machine learning algorithms. So maybe some smart students can help us. Yeah, I think we can uh, give them some real world learning opportunities, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. <laughs> I think that's your good, a good tap is to start asking the, some of the kids that are up there, what are some things that you want to learn in the bytes and stuff? Yeah. That'd be fun. Yeah, awesome. that's a good idea. Yeah. Put, put a survey in there. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely right, the, no, the wish list for the birthday is bigger than the, the what was it, Ninja Bite belts for them. Yep. What can I put on my Christmas wish list for my mother so that I can print it out and stick it underneath her pillow? <laughs> <laughs> it's getting late here, and it's getting early for Julian. <laughs> and, it's, and it's past Hopefully. bedtime for Bob. <laughs> so why don't we do another one of these international ones soon? But for now, let's, let's pause it here and let everyone get on with the rest of their day or night, as the case may be. Yeah, it was great talking. Thank you. Great talking with you. Yes, it was All a right. lot of fun. All right. Cheers. Cheers. All right, everyone, this is Sean. I'm back just for a moment to remind you how you can stay in touch with us. If you want to reach out to us through our website, you can find us at teachingpython.fm. We're also at teachingpython on Twitter. You can always reach out to Kelly at Kelly Pared on Twitter, and I'm at SMTiber on Twitter. We hope you enjoyed the episode and you're having a great week. And uh, we look forward to hanging out with you again soon on an upcoming podcast. Take care. Mm -hmm.